Greetings and welcome to the Veteran Power Hour. I repeat, welcome to the Veteran Power Hour. Here on Monco Radio, this is Matthew Benko checking in to host this week's Veteran Power Hour here on Monco Radio. Today's Friday, April 22nd. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Veteran Power Hour. We are going to go right into the thank you for your service portion of today's Veteran Power Hour. The quote of the week is, It always seems impossible until it is done by Nelson Mandela. As always, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay connected. Please stay engaged. Please share this information out with the veteran community. And please enjoy the upcoming conversation with myself and Miss Tanya Brown. We look forward to staying connected and engaged. And until next time, take care. Thank you. Welcome to the thank you for your service portion of today's Veteran Power Hour. I have a really great guest here today. I'm really looking forward to get our conversation started. Miss Tanya Brown, she's the Director of Military and Veteran Service at Kutztown University and an active member of the Reserves. Miss Miss Tanya Brown, thanks for being here. Matt, it is definitely my pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, it, it, I've been looking forward to this because we have a lot in common. We talked a little bit before we started our official conversation here for everyone to hear and listen to. Uh, we're both in student affairs, higher education, um, and we both have some reserve and National Guard time. So it's, it's, it's a rare combination. So I'm really looking forward to having this conversation, hearing more about your military service, how you got to Kutztown, and, and all the great things you've been doing you know, in, in the reserves and also what you've been doing in, in your role as the Director in Military and Veteran Services at Kutztown University. Sounds great. So we talked a little bit before, and we talked about what the Thank You for Your Service portion represents. And it's really, this is an opportunity to highlight your military service and also everything you've been doing um, professionally, military, and in your civilian career. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to this and, and learning more about, about, you know, your years of service. Okay. I'm looking forward to it as well. So we talked, so we talked about, you know, you're in the reserves, but what branch of service? I'm in the United States army reserve. Oh, nice. Okay. And what, what, what years of service? When did you join the army? Uh, Have you been in the reserves the whole time? To tell us a little bit about that. Sure. I joined the Army in June of 1990. So I am at about 32 years now. Oh, wow. I have about, I would say, nine years of active duty time. And the remaining is reserve time. Okay. So, and we're getting into that. So I imagine that's, you know, the nine years of active duty time is, is de- deployments, state activations, in support of a number of different operations i assume yes yes a lot of mobilizations yes Mm -hmm. yes yes um so what was the motivation um to to get in well why the army why the reserves and and also too you know 30 years of service that's 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 pretty amazing that's not an easy thing to do so to tell us a little bit about that motivation 
Um, well, why the Army? Why the Reserves? And well, what kept you going? What keeps you going? <laughs> to, to get me in, really, it wasn't my choice. It was a friend of mine. We had just graduated from college. I went to Pace University in New York. I'm from New York. Okay. And we had debt. And my friend came to me and she said, listen, I found out that if you join the military, you only have to do one week in a month, two weeks in the summer, and you only have to do it for like two years and they'll pay off all of your college debt and they will send you to grad school. So I was like, okay, I'm in. She lived in the Bronx. I lived in Queens. So because of we were in different areas, we had to go to different recruiters. I fulfilled my end. I thought she was fulfilling her end. She talked to me about a battle buddy program that if we enlisted together, we would go throughout our career together, at least the early part. So I was like, that's cool. Uh, we talked about the date, ship date that we were going to go. And then when I got my ship date and it was time to coordinate and just sign the dotted line, she said, uh... I'm going in a different direction. I said, wait, what do you mean? You're the one that brought this to me yeah. and we were going to go in together. And she said, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to do something else though. So that kind of left me holding the bag. And I had this recruiter on me saying, well, what are you going to do? You did the ASVAB, you did this, you did this. And he sold it to me so well that I was like, well, you know what? Let me at least try. So that's what I did. Wow, that that that's that's great because you know, and we're not going back that far. You know, when, when you went in, um, it was pre nine eleven when you went in, right? Yes. Um, mm -hmm. and and it's interesting to hear that they the the benefits that they offered today were still you know were back to uh, prior nine eleven as well as far as student loan repayment. You know, one way it's a great. It's a great access point as far as helping an individual get empowered to, you know, meet some academic needs that they, they may not have been able to come across, right? You know, at the age of, you know, 18, I know right out of high school, I, I didn't have that, the, the means to do that. So I had to figure it out, right? Right, right. Yeah, so it, it was really good that they had that, especially the student loan repayment program, because I will tell you, it did pay my loans for me. Um, the military did not pay for my grad school. I was able to do that on my own through a graduate assistantship. But just knowing that I did not have to ha um, have that student loan repayment or the student loan over my head yeah. was an, a beautiful thing. I will tell you that it, there were other benefits. There was the, I think at that time it was 1607, which was, I believe it was REAP at that time. Yeah. But... I knew nothing about it. I would get my, and I'm in the reserve, so I don't know if the National Guard has the same form, but it's our two alpha. It's our it's personal qualification record, and it has all of our data on it, two-sided document. And always on the second side of that document, I would see on there, there would be a notification or an indicator that said I was Montgomery GI Bill qualified. And I never knew what that was. I was like, what is that? Yeah. Am I missing out on something? You know, I went back to my contract. It said the same thing. Montgomery GI Bill qualified, but no one could ever explain to me what that meant to me. How do I access it? Am I still eligible? What do I get? 
So I never used it. The only thing I ever used was the student loan repayment and the bonus. Well, I have a feeling as our conversation evolves that that may have motivated you to put yourself in a position where you're at today. Just so it's a little little uh, sneak preview, like a spoiler alert, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> um, how about that? Yeah, because it's, it, it, you know, it takes, there's a lot of information out there. And, you know, with the reserves and, and we're talking about it here shortly as well as, as far as, especially with the reserves and, and the guard, there's EAP, there's MFEP, there's, there's versions of that GI bill. And mm-hmm. it, it is, it is a lot. And, and sometimes, um, organizations don't, it's not because they don't want to get it. It's just, they don't know how to get it in some right. ways, um, you know, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to when we transition to that part of our, our conversation, because that, that, that was, uh, we have similar motivators, you know, as far as, um, how we got into the positions and what motivated us. Uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming so. Um, so you already gave your hometown a shout. You said you're from Queens, New York, right? Um, I always like to say that that's where you enlisted. I, I always like to, to, you know, I always ask individuals, you know, if they want to give their hometown a shout out, where it all started, where'd you enlist and all that. Um, so, okay. And then, so your, your MOS training, uh, you know, that's our, that's the military occupational specialty, right? Well, what was your initial MOS when you went in. My OS was 91 Romeo, which has converted to 68 Romeo. So what that is, is a veterinarian food inspection specialist. So it's similar to a USDA food inspector. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a first. I, I've, first most people don't even know that the military has that. Yes. Wow. How about that? And how, how long were you in that, that MOS train? How? Oh, I think I was in that for about four years, maybe four years I was in that, in that MOS. And I got to do some really cool things. Got to go to uh, West Point and inspect their commissary. Got to inspect MREs on a naval ship. Wow. So I got to do some cool things um, in that position. How about that? So how, how did that, did that MOS find you? Uh, was it a recruiter? Was it, did it happen at MEPS? How did you how did you get that MOS? How did you get that job at in the Army? MEPS, at MEPS, because of my my ASVAB scores, they gave me a slew of options. Um, yeah. Psychologist was one. Uh, one was MP. And then there were others as well. The one that I wanted, human resources, they didn't have. It didn't come up for me. And then they had this food inspection inspection specialist. And I said, well, out of the three, which one is more advantageous to me? And they said that the psychologist, um, I think it was a behavioral psychologist specialist. I think that was a position which was, sounded really cool. And I, that's the one I really wanted. Yeah. They said, well, you'll, you'll be in school for about 24 months. And I was like, I don't want to be in school for 24 months. Yeah, that's a long time. Wow. That's too long. So I I put that one to the side. And then they had the MP. And then they explained it. They said, well, you'll have gate guard duty. You'll be out there doing this, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not trying to really be a cop or anything like that. So they didn't want to do that. So then the other one that was appealing was this one. And it had a bonus attached to it. Okay. So that's the one I did. And it was only, I think... 
uh, two months, two months of training, eight weeks. So I said, yeah, that that's the one. Nice. That's how I got into it. Yeah, it's 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 nice here. You, you know, if you talk to a hundred veterans, you get a hundred different variations of what the recruiting experience was like. Um, but more often than not, I hear it's like no, it's pretty straightforward. I, I got this on the ASVAB. I asked the questions, and you go there somewhat informed and an open mind. Unless unless you're zeroing on a very like I want to do, I want to be a pilot. I you know I want to be a helicopter pilot. You know that that or well, well, whatever it may be that there's. There's um there's those individuals who who have that like laser focus like I want to do this in the military yes. no offense or buts but in general it's like nah I just I just want to join and figure it out just just give me some good information what are my options you know so it's it's interesting to hear those the, the I always like hearing those stories on you know yes and I, and I think that's what happened to me I was open right I, I was a little disappointed though because I really went in there with. I want to do HR. I wanted to do human resources. So when they did not have it, I was disappointed. And I'll tell you, it was almost a, a game changer. It was almost, well, ah, you don't have it. You told me that it's a common one that would be there. So I was about to just turn around. Yeah. And they and then they explained, they said, well, you're going into the reserves and the reserves they have the ability to allow you to get another MOS. So after you do this for a couple of years, all you have to do is, is go to training for MOS school, and then you'll become, you'll have that MOS and you can add it on. So that's what allowed me to say, well, you know what? I'll give it a try. As long as you're telling me I don't have to do it forever yeah. and I'm out, then I'm good. Yeah, especially in the reserves and in the guard because you have more um... – range or options you know because as those opportunities come up it's not contingent upon pcsing somewhere going to base base off your you know so that there, there's a variety of different you know there's pros and cons to to both you know yes. uh, you know being in the reserves and, and active duty and all that that's what i did and then i became an instructor uh for pldc so i don't know if you how long you've been in do you remember PLDC or what was the primary leadership development course for you? So in in, in the Air Force world, we had um, um, oh, that's Air, right, Air, Air Force, yes, yes, yes. We were at Airman Leadership School, and you needed to do that prior to uh, um, being promoted to E five, so that you know the the ranks of NCO, yes. and then that would um, qualify you to be become an E six, a tech sergeant, and then to become senior master sergeant, we have to go to nco academy mm -hmm. uh, and then th that's part of the criteria to to become be promotable to e7 and over the years it's changed like e8 now and you know do you you have an associate's degree there, there there's the varying options there so it sounds like it's similar like our, our nco our airman leadership school and nco academies are similar to pl what do you say pls yeah, so ours at that time was pldc primary leadership development okay. course and I'll tell you, it's the same structure, very similar structures to what you just described. In order to make the next rank, I myself had to go to PLDC. So when I went, I went to, it was called Region 1 NCO Academy, and that was at The Gap. Okay. And, I went, and it was a two-week course, and I will tell you, it changed my perspective about the military. It changed my motivation. I saw a female instructor and she was sharp. Yeah. She was sharp. 
She knew her business. She handled her business well. She was very professional. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? That's what I want to do. I want to be her. That's what I want to do. And after that, that's what I did. I went to the training to become an instructor. I honed my craft and then ended up right there at that same Region 1 NCO Academy being a PLDC instructor. Okay, because that's what I was going to ask you. Like, what were you an instructor in your MOS, the 91 Romeo, or was it an instructor for this leadership d- development course? It was an instructor, said? yes, because it, it was a generalized common core. So it didn't matter what your MOS was. You just had to know the common core information. I so, and I loved it. And and you know, I could speak for the Air Force a little bit. It's similar to that. that you know, um, you'd have to meet certain criteria, but they'd actually welcome uh, in the air. I always joke. I half joke. You know, Air Force likes to be special. So our MOS is AFSC Air Force Special E Code. Yes. So, but they actually want and require a range of different AFSCs to teach at these Airman Leadership Schools, NCO Academy, etc. Because it brings that diverse um, background. You know, it does. To, to, it does definitely. Um, um, so I, I always like to. I'm curious. Where was basic training for you? Because I know Army has a variety of different posts where you could go to basic. Where, where was basic? Did you go to AIT? And then where did you get your initial um, MOS training? So my basic training was Fort Dix, New Jersey, okay. and then my AIT for 68 Romeo, that was at Fort Sam Houston. In okay. Texas. Okay, that's a pretty big post from what I know. It is it's a very nice place as well. They're now joint bases, yeah. but uh, Army, we still, you know, we still, um, we're still familiar with the original name yeah. of the base, and we still embrace that name. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's well, once you've been around the block a few times, it's you kind of stick to. What those first couple experiences were like Air Force is the same way. Like you know, you, we have all these joint bases now, like Fort Dix and McGuire. It's like, well, I know, yeah. I knew it as McGuire Air Force Base, but it's like joint fill in the it's blank. Joint you know? base, McGuire, <laughs> Dix, Lakehurst. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Of Fort Dix. And I think right? Fort Lewis and McCord Air Force Base out on the west, uh, northwest is like that too. I just know just from going out to McCord a few times, it's like I, I think it's Fort Lewis. And usually there's an army post near a big. Air Force installation as well. So it, it was just yes, yes. over the years, they just said, ah, let's just make it one name. <laughs> so. Yes. so that's where I went um, initially. And then I did eventually get to cross level into human resources. Okay. And that I, um, my training was at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, I believe. Okay. Training. And, and how is that? So when you cross train and you, you, you go pursue another MOS um, in the Air Force world, we call it prior service. And therefore, you don't go through all the, the motions that you were if you were an initial um, trainee. Yeah, you yes. Know, same, so is that same the same? That. Okay. So you're, 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 you know, especially depending on what your rank is at the time, you're, you're allowed in your own barracks. You get, you know, you don't have to go, you don't have to march to school, et cetera. Is that the same for the Army? It is. It is. We okay. call it MOS recal- reclassification. Okay. And normally the the time frame is shorter, especially if it's taught by a USAR or reserve school. Yeah. Um, so I believe the training there was three phases to it, so you just had to go. I believe two weeks to each phase, um, and it was normally local. It was normally local to where you were living. 
if you were living in that area. But I was lucky enough to be able to take a portion of that training at the AG, Adjutant General uh, Schoolhouse. So that, that was a treat. Usually reserve soldiers aren't able to do that. They kind of just go to that satellite site. Yep. They do all of their training there, and then they get that uh, reclassification. Okay. Um, well, th- that's a great segue into to the next question, you know, w- with the reserves. You know, reserves, it's, it's a, you're assigned to the U.S. Army, right, whereas the, the National Guard, you're assigned to a state. So, um, you know, I'm in the Pennsylvania National Guard, you know. But wh- where, what bases were you at? Like, where, where was your first reserve station at, and were you there most of your time? To talk a little bit about the different uh, reserve posts you were at. Gosh, so... My memory is not that good as far as the name of the reserve center, but I know my very first um, base was in the Bronx. Okay. And then when I relocated, I was in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And so these were all like USAR reserve centers in these areas. Um, When we're looking at actual bases, I have served out of Fort Dix. New Jersey. I've served out of Fort Jackson, South Carolina, as well as right now, Fort Shafter, Hawaii. That's where my my unit is right now. And Fort Pickett or Camp Pickett, as some call it. And then there's several others that Fort Lewis, Fort Lewis, Washington, and I loved Fort Lewis. It's really oh great. I, 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 yeah, it's it's a beautiful part of the country. My goodness, Fort Lewis, and you just look at the ocean and then Mount Rainier's right there. Oh my gosh, just gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Yes, and then you have um, Fort Meade, Maryland. So there's several. Wow. There's several. It, yeah, because it. Well, with the reserves, you get to serve all over the United States. It's a lot easier to make those lateral uh, movements, or you know, to you know, switch switch posts and bases like that. So, did you say you're currently assigned to a, a Hawaii unit? I am. How, how does that work? So here we are in Pennsylvania, right? You know, could send universities in Pennsylvania, right? You know, and and um, how does that work? I'm I'm curious. So the good thing is the off islanders, that's what we're called off islanders. We don't have to go every single month. So we only have to uh, attend when it is mandatory. Okay. We do have to attend each month, but we're allowed to attend virtually Yeah. on the non-mandatory uh, battle assemblies, which um, you might call drill. I'm not sure you call yeah. your weekends well, drills. Yeah. We call them RSDs now, regular scheduled drill, you know? Yeah. Over the years they, they, you know, like the switch yes. around. So we used to call them drills as well. Then it became battle training assemblies. So that's what we call them, battle assemblies. So when it's mandatory, we, we have to fly there. So I would say at least five times out of the year, I do have to fly to Hawaii. And then what I try to do is I piggyback some of um, my battle assembly days onto those that time that yeah, I'm there. So I see. It's, so I'm there longer. Oh, that's not a bad place to be five times out of the year, I imagine. <laughs> I'll tell you, it is, it's beautiful. It definitely is paradise. Every time I tell someone that that is where my unit is, they're like, oh, I'm so jealous. You know, you're really training out there, huh? And the, the, the reality is we train out there. So you don't get to 
You don't get to visit the beach. Yeah, you don't it's... to really do sightseeing because you are seriously training from the time that you get there to the time that you leave. So what we really get to enjoy is the beautiful weather. Yeah, that, you know? that, 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 that's not a bad uh, exchange. You know? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. The only thing I would I would switch or change if I could is that flight. Oh, my gosh, that flight there. It yeah. just beats you up, you know, two, five and a half, six hour flights. It beats you up. Wow. And the time zone difference. I mean, I know you gain time getting there, but it's still it throws you off, I imagine, for a few days. But right. Right. By the time you get used to it, you're, you're probably coming back, huh? Flying back. Yeah, that's why I try to stay when I go there. I try to stay at least six days because if you say anything less than that, it really will affect your, your body yeah. and, and your, your mental space. Uh, how about that? That's pretty cool. I, that, that's 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 the. For, I, I know there there's there's units there, whether the reserves or the guard. But that that's pretty cool that they they um, extend that 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 option for you. Um, now as I was, you know, as you talked about how you got into the reserves because you wanted student loan repayments and and you went to college and you completed your degree. Right? So did, did you go into the reserves with your bachelor's degree? I did. Okay, so did did you go in enlisted or did you get commissioned? What, what was the rank you went in as? That's a great question. So when I went in, the recruiter was pushing and pushing and pushing. They said, you have to be an officer. You have to be an officer. We need more officers. Um, and you have a degree and you can go. We can send you right there now, right, to, to training. And I worked in corporate America for quite a bit prior to me get going in. I, I think I enlisted when I was around 25 years old. So I had quite a bit of work experience in, yeah. in corporate America. And then I'll tell you, the one thing that I didn't like then, which is the one thing that I truly don't like now, is politics. I don't like politics. Yeah. And I saw a lot of that in corporate America. And from the research that I, I did, they it just seemed like there was a lot of politics in the officer ranks and I wanted nothing. I wanted none of it. So I told them, I said, I'm a doer. I'm a worker. I take pride in, in, in what I do and that's where I want to go. And they said, well, that's, that's enlisted. So that's where I went. That, I went that, to the enlisted board. That's really cool. So what rank are you now? Uh, Sergeant major. Oh, Sergeant Major. Wow, that that's pretty awesome. So for our listeners, that that that's you know, that's the that's the highest enlisted rank in in the army, right? That that's for E9. So it's not the highest enlisted uh billet. Yeah. So you have the Sergeant Major and then you have the Command Sergeant Major. So I'm not a Command Sergeant Major, but but I am still at that same level as an E9. That is really empowering and awesome to hear. It, it's an honor and a privilege to be talking with the ser sergeant major because you know what? When he said thirty years, I'm like, all right, there's some rank associated with that, but very few individuals achieve that rank. So that that's pretty awesome, um, and and that's no easy feat. That that so it's it's really um, all the more exciting our conversation is, and, and I, I, it's it's. Uh, there's a lot that goes in into that to to um, reach that milestone uh, professionally, especially in the reserves and and um, you know doing a dual career. So mm -hmm. I will tell you, it you know to make the rank was not easy, and and you know that. 
but I I think I received my greatest my greatest accolade for making that rank from my daughter. Yeah. I think that is what touched my heart the most. You know, you get to it, you're happy, you're excited, people congratulate you. And you know it's a feat, but as you're working through it, you're just working through it. You're the same person. I was the same person that I was when I was at E8, E7, E6, right? Yeah. So once you make it to that rank, yes, it's great, but it doesn't seem like it's monumental, if you will. It wasn't until my daughter, when she came of age and she was able to understand uh, positions and levels, and she looked at me and she said, Mom you're a sergeant major, you are a sergeant major, you're an E9, you are doing the daggone thing, <laughs> right? And when she said that to me, Matt, it, it just, it humbled me, yes, but it was just also, wow, you know, I made it to a level that my child could even be proud of me. So I thought that was a really cool thing. Yeah, I, I imagine I mean, there's no better accolade and acknowledgement than, than that to have 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 your daughter you know just see that because i imagine uh, well, what a positive and motivating influence that is that's that, that's pretty cool um well that's that's great i, I that's uh, that's what's so great about these conversations because as we pull back to the, the layers and we talk more and we share experiences it's it's really it's really good to hear these these stories these success stories and and, and the journey that one takes um, to, to achieve the, those milestones and, and to be a, a, um, you know, a part of that. So we talked a lot about where like stateside, where it's taken you, you know, you, you've been all over the country, you know, whether it's, um, assignments you were at through the reserves, through, through being activated, et cetera. Where has your military service taken you internationally? So I would say that would be, I've only been to two places, and that would be Japan and Germany. Okay. And mm-hmm. well, what, what was that like? What, what was, because they're both great places. They're both really cool places. To, to Germany, I wasn't there long enough to really get a, uh, a good flavor for it. I know when I went, it was in the dead of winter. Snow was up to my thigh, if not higher. And it was very cold. It was very depressing. And the people there weren't too nice. They weren't too friendly. So I didn't, I didn't get the same experience as many of my uh, counterparts got. So when mm-hmm. I speak to others that have actually been stationed there for a while, they love it. They love it. They love the people. They love the food. They love the culture. But I think I just wasn't there long enough. Yeah. I went there as a reserve soldier. So sometimes, you know, you're only in a position or in a place for about two weeks or something like that, right? Because you're on a mission. Yeah. So Germany was not my favorite. Japan, I absolutely loved. Got sick, but absolutely loved Japan. I was able to see the, oh, I was there during the time when they had their annual competition of sumo wrestlers. Okay. So that was a really neat thing to experience and just experience their culture. Very kind people, very helpful people. Um, I, I just loved everything about Japan. I love their, their rail system. Many that go to Japan that's not familiar with a rail system, it's very intimidating. 
because I grew up in New York City and New York City has a massive uh, transportation system, it was a little easier for me. But I, I truly loved it. Got to go to Tokyo Disney. Yeah. That was awesome, right? And uh, got to ride on a pirate ship. And it was just a really neat experience in, in Japan. Yeah, because it, it's interesting. The military will take you places that you never expected or thought of. And, 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 and uh, some are like really great. Some are like, ah, I'd rather not go there again, you know? <laughs> um, but the, the more individual I talk to and the individual they serve with, you tend to kind of reflect on and remember the, the, the good times and the positive ones um, like that. And, and, and Japan is, uh, that sounds like it was a good experience for you. What, what is your favorite military experience? I think I have a favorite, um, one favorite military experience. I've had some really great assignments. Being an instructor, I absolutely love being an instructor. I was a drill sergeant for a while. I enjoyed being a drill sergeant. I was a school director, commandant of a schoolhouse. I loved that experience as well. But I will tell you, just looking at my military career, the moments that I enjoy the most are celebrating with my team. Yeah. It's it's when the team has an obstacle, they have a challenge, they have a tough mission, and we accomplish it. We problem solve together, we support each other, and then we get to reap the benefit of that labor that we put into it together. That to me, that moment, when it's all said and done and we can just sit back and exhale and look at each other and just smile and do the fist bump because we're like, you know what? We got it. We did it. And that's what, that's what it's all about to me. It's the camaraderie. It's the bonding. And I absolutely love that. Yeah. That, that, and that's, there's not a lot of places or organizations that, um, tap into it or it's so uh, pronounced or so profound uh, um, to, because that, that, that definitely is. And regardless of what branch of service, what, what job we did, I, I, I believe, I can't speak for, for all veterans, but you hear that so often in a variety yes. of different ways. And that, that's, that's, what's so uh, empowering. What's so great about, you know, the, the armed forces or, you know, I, I, I you know, I know names have changed over the years. Department of Defense and, and but you know from serving in the armed forces you get you get access to that and it's it's uh, you know you make those relationships and bonds that last for forever yes know, that you know and oh nice so what would what would the what would the current Tanya say to the then Tanya just entering the U.S. Army I would say to me stay focused but don't get stuck in the weeds because okay. i can tend to do that and i'm trying to train myself to not get stuck in the weeds um have more fun and don't take everything so seriously 
And then the last thing that I would tell myself is to get comfortable failing forward. So as I was growing up in the military, I had some really great role models, right? And those role models pushed me and they pushed me and they, they groomed me. And it was about being the best, not in a competitive way, but being the best version of me yeah. and, and striving for perfection. I grew up in the era of your uniform had to be starched. It had to have creases. Your boots had to be shined, shined to the point where it looked like water, you know, just that clear. And that you can see your, your reflection in it. So I grew up in that era where everything had to be pristine. Yeah. So I took that through my career where everything had to be on point. Your T's had to be crossed. Your I's had to be dotted. And there was no other way. Mm -hmm. But what happens is when that is your focus, it takes away from other areas. Yeah. Right? Because you can't relax. You can't relax and just enjoy the moment. You can't um, open your mind to other ways of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. So it limits the creativity. So, I, so that's what I would say to me. Yeah, stay focused. Be the best that you can when you can because you can't always be on the top of your game. And be okay with failing forward. Um, take chances. Take chances, even if you're not skilled in it, you know, because I would get afraid. I'd be like, well, I don't know how to do that. If I don't know how to do that and I try it, well, I'm probably not going to be the best at it. Yeah. And I don't want that look because my entire career, I have honed this image, if you will, of being that one that was always on top of things. So it was later on in my, my career that I just started laying back and just saying, you know what, it's, it's, not, it's not that serious. Yeah. So that's what I would tell myself early on, because then maybe I would have had more fun. Maybe I would have taken more chances, um, done more things, right? And um, so, yeah. I, I imagine um, that, you know, you as a sergeant major, you probably share that story a lot with those you, you supervise. Because as I'm listening to that, I'm 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 absorbing it, listening to it, and hear how empowering that could be to to junior NCOs and and even senior NCOs that that are that are there just as a because it, it you know regardless of what rank we are and all that we we got to meet each other we we got to meet ourselves where we're at and when we do that we could help others do that as well and we need help along the way to do that and. I, I believe, you know, that that's what a, a real leader does, you know, is, is really empowering others. And, and hearing that, I, I, I could, I could, you know, that, you know, that, that Sergeant Major is well deserved because I definitely, I imagine, again, you know, that, that that's something that you, you bring to the table every day for, for, for those, you know, who have the pleasure of, you know, being with you. I try. I, I, I definitely try. Yes, I try. I don't always, I don't always make the grade, but I definitely try. Yeah, um, and I, I like how you said it, it, it's okay to make mistakes. We're, we're gonna fall on our face sometimes, or we're gonna fall backwards. And I think sometimes we, we could beat ourselves up, and a lot of times we're harder on ourselves than we need to be. Than you know the ex, 
you know, life is hard enough on us as it is, and the, the external environment is 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 not going to show any mercy in a lot of ways. But we have to do that, you know. We have to remind ourselves to do that. To you know, um, we don't need to overdo it. We don't need to under and you know, it's a constant balance. It's a constant calibration of finding that fulcrum to hey, this is what I need to. You know, we joke in the middle, take the knife hand out and, you know, like, hey, right. this is how it's going to be. This is what it out. is. That, that's yeah, it. There it is. It's, I know this is radio, but I just, we're, 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 uh, we're on video now. Everyone, she just, I just saw the Sergeant Major knife hand, everyone. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, but, but know when to be and acknowledge when to be, um, not, not soft, but, but no, no one to be understanding in, in a situation, you know, right. and, and, it's uh, that's just a lot of work. That's not, you know, it's hard to do. So, so I'm really excited to transition into the the uh, the other part of our conversation here. And you know, the, a lot of great information you shared with, with your military service, very encouraging, very empowering. And we talked about how you're the director of military and veteran services at Kutztown University. And how long have you been at? Kutztown or I think I'm at 20 or 21 years okay so yeah you you, you sounds like you're um well into that role I'm very familiar with it and um I you know we talked about earlier in, in in our conversation on on maybe some of the motivators that that led led you there just from you know with the GI Bill and, and whatnot so but, but before we go that I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here we part of the show what we do here in the veteran power hour is is we're doing a thank you for your service portion which we talked about and then when i first the first couple shows i did i talked about being a hopeful wanderer and what what that means and how life is a constant transition especially from military service and especially in the reserves where you have multiple assignments and you're going back and forth from the civilian sector to the to the military, vice versa, going to Hawaii, putting that sergeant major uniform and coming back and, you know, coming back to being the director of mili- military and veteran service at, at Kutztown. So you're, you're very well in tune, and I have that similar background as well. We're, we're constantly calibrating and dealing w- with that transition piece, right? How do you define transition, and what has that process been like for you, and w- what are some tools you use to manage it and, and make it happen? That's a really good question. So I define transition as the process of adjusting to a new normal. Okay. I think for citizen soldiers, for uh, citizen service members, for those who are dual-hatted, mm-hmm. they work in the civilian world as well as the military world, we are always adjusting to a new normal. Nothing is ever exactly the same all of the time, right? We have to be flexible. So for me, I'm always in transition mode, and it's not easy. Uh, to this day, uh, as I mentioned, I'm in 32 years. It's still not easy. Yeah. But it becomes more manageable over time when you develop systems to help you. So I asked you asked about the tools, and I think those tools are person or individual specific it's the tools that you need to help you with the lifestyle that you have and the the type of uh, transitions that you do so for me i travel a lot 
So I keep a bag that's always packed. I have a toiletry bag that's always packed. I have other bags that are always packed. I keep certain things in my vehicle in case I know I have to run from a meeting to meeting someone in the military, then back to another meeting, which could be a community organization meeting. So I prior think about, all right, this is what I have going on this week. I might need these this equipment, these tools, whatever it is. And I just forward think and I just place that in that that information or that product or that equipment or those resources in my vehicle. So it's easy access. Right. Mm -hmm. And then some other things is just my thinking process. When in the past, when I would when I would process information, I might only process a part of the information that's needed right then, right there. And then I would say, when I need to do the rest, I'll come back, I'll circle back around, and I'll tackle that part. I don't do that too much anymore. Once I'm working on a project, I try to complete that project, even if it's not necessary, from A to Z, because it saves me time in the long run. And if I have to send someone information, even if they're not expecting that information now, but I anticipate that this information might be helpful, or if I'm driving to an appointment and I have to refer to this information with this person and I have that, that, that hip pocket opportunity that you didn't know that you had, right? And I wanna maximize that time, I can then call that person up and say, hey, I know we, we wanted to talk about this tomorrow, but I had 15 minutes, if you do as well, I already sent you the information, can we take a look at that? Yeah. So I try to, to buy back time by being a little bit more organized and thinking through what needs might arise, I would say, within my travels, within that time period of time that I'm working with. So those are great techniques and great tools. Do you, do you use those same techniques and tools for your personal life, for family, et cetera? Yes. Um, to me, it, it's all in one. Okay. It's not, I just use this for the military. I just use this for KU. I just use this. I try to blend it all together. So when I show up, it's me showing up. Okay. Uh, because I, I've tried to do it before where I compartmentalized and it just made it even more stressful. Yeah. So now it just all blends together. That way it's easier for me to manage. Oh, wow. And and that that's, yeah, it sounds like you're constantly inventorying that and um, maintaining those. The, 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 I, I, I've referred to in the in previous shows is putting tools in our toolbox. Yeah, we may have those tools in our toolbox that we put in, you know, say five years ago. But just as important as getting those tools is maintaining those tools and upkeeping yes. those tools. And, you know, making sure that when we need to use them, they're ready to go at all times. Like you, you know, like you mentioned, those bags you have in your car to just like, hey, to be ready to have that sense of, of, uh, you know, have that access to like, hey, whatever comes up, I'm ready. It may not be the most desirable or the most expected or wanted thing in the moment but like hey like like a lot of things like we're get you get through it we're get through it i got the tools and we're proceed with 
the mission, whether it's a personal mission or, you know, related to to civilian work and or you know who continue to serve in the in the military. No, you're you're absolutely correct. Um, and as you, as the word that you keep using is you know you calibrate and you recalibrate, and that is how I'm always thinking, and I'm always looking at okay, what's what's the new app? What's the new tool? What's the new trend that that's going on that's available to me to even make things a little bit more simple, yeah. right? So it's even like things like this. So I know that I had this meeting and I'm very thankful I was in the office to be able to connect to um, the laptop and to Teams. But there are times where I'll know I have a meeting scheduled, but I have other things sandwiched in between. So I have to now start to think, well, you know what, if I run into traffic, if I don't get to a location where I can sit down, plug in and actually have this, I then have to start mapping out. And I do this, I'll map out, okay, well, along the way, where are spots that I can pull over, log in, get Wi-Fi, so at least I can show up. I might not be in my old ideal location, but I can at least show up and be accountable for, you know, for my presence being there. So that's all in the preparation, thinking through it so that you're already prepared. So those are some of the things that I've learned to add to my uh, daily schedule, if you will, and to my toolbox to help me. And it's, it's, it's been working. I still, I still need to improve in some areas, but I'm not, I'm not where I used to be. Yeah. I, well, it sounds like you know when when Plan A doesn't work, there's there's 25 more letters in the alphabet, right? <laughs> we always kind of very rarely. I mean, it's nice when Plan A goes according to plan, but I, I you know, even the simplest of things, I'm like, no, all right, de- deviate, 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 and then it ends up, you know, this is Plan F. <laughs> you know, yes. you, you, you're halfway through the alphabet, and it's you know, I didn't even get through one cup of coffee yet, you know. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's, I guess just having that, it's expectation management, I think, too. It's just, hey, you know, this would be great if it goes exactly no deviations, but I'm ready for those those deviations. And I think that's right. a stress, man. And we could use those. That's not just not like a project management or, you know, a professional thing we do when we're in the office or, you know, we've got the uniform on. I think that's something we could use all the time, yes. personally, to, to manage yeah. our own stressors and, and to to deal with those you know roadblocks and those yes. you know um times where we, we got to deviate so how did you find your way to being the director of veterans uh the, the director of military and veteran services at kutztown university yeah so i started at ku I believe it was actually when 9-11 started or when 9-11 happened i started as a ku admissions counselor and I was in that position for a few years, working with freshman students, transfer, as well as veteran students. And I believe it was in 2013, the, my HR came to me and said, we're, we're looking to expand the services that we provide to veterans. And we know you have the background and you've already been working with veterans as a um, admissions counselor and your track record has been pretty good. So would you be willing to spearhead this and to build a, a resource center? And of course, I'm I'm not going to say no, right? This is a, a, a pretty important 
thing to have, right? Resource to have. But I asked him, I said, well, I don't think this population just needs resources because their initial vision was uh, have an office, have resources in there so veterans can come and just pick up this information. I said, I think they need more. I, I think they need more than resources. They need someone that's going to be able to um, answer their questions and understand their questions. I think they need a place where they can just go and hang out and just be with like-minded, right, um, students. And the space that they gave me, that was very small. It was, it, and it is still very small. So I didn't know how I was going to make it that way, but I turned it into a mini USO. Yeah. It is, I call it an intimate space because it is close, right? You get, you get 10, 11 people in here and it's like we're having a party, right? Because we're yeah. full. But I was able to, with the help of student veterans, I was able to design a space that is similar to a mini USO. If you go in the airport and you go into a place, you have the coffee, you have the TV, you have the Xbox, you know, the entertainment, you yeah. have food. Um, you have computers, and, and so that's what we that's what we did, and we have been growing ever since as far as student population and services that we provide. Oh wow! I I this our conversation has gone a whole another hour with this because that's such an important uh, access and a resource that that all colleges and universities should have, and I know over the years across the board, universities and colleges do have some sort of veteran representation. But prior to 9-11, um, and even in those first five, arguably five, ten years, you know, schools were trying to figure it out, having this access point. It wasn't, you know, oh, you, you know, going back to what we, what you referenced earlier in our conversation was, I had this GI Bill, but nobody knew how to help me because they didn't know what it was, you know. And, and from your perspective, it's like, well, I'm getting my student loans paid for, so what maybe this is it's not relevant to my situation where it absolutely could have been and should have been, and, you know, having, you know, when schools, uh, put the resources into, uh, providing those tangible resources, both human and the physical location, it, it does uh, amazing things. And, and yeah, we have our ebbs and flows as far as enrollment goes, but in general, you, you create that, that access point, which is so the, the, what drives me in this, in this um in higher education access and accountability because if we give I, our veterans access to understand process like everything you just said was so spot on you know i you know um we could hold them accountable and see them accountable in the best way possible go go on to get that four-year degree i mean you're a four-year institution um I, i'm coming from the perspective of a two-year you know it's my job to get them plugged into those organizations where they could achieve that goal um, but it's hard to do, and that's why that was the motivation for me to get in this role um, as a manager of veteran services and, and some of the things I've done prior to getting here is giving those access points to help people figure it out, giving them the, the, the access points to process, meet them, help themselves meet their at, and want to be those hopeful wanderers. It, it's okay to wander. It's okay to not have it all figured out. It's, you know, it's okay to, like you said it, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's, you're going to fall on your face. It, actually, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, just like you said, it, you know, and that's part of the, it's part of the process. It's part of the package deal. And, but knowing that, hey, we're, you know, you're there at Kutztown University, you know, um, 
I'm here at Montgomery County Community College. I mean, we could go on and on as far as the network that we have that we're tapped into. That there is that um, there's there's resources to help somebody get up. You know, when when they need to take a break or they just don't know where they're at or they're just so overwhelmed. So um, most definitely. Yeah, that's why I said I gotta. You know, this is the Veteran Power Hour, so like, well, we're closing that. So, like I said, this could. I, I honestly, and I, I, you know, I really look forward to part two of this conversation because this is going to be a two-part conversation. <laughs> if you're okay with that, to just so we could zero in and talk more about this, and maybe get some of our colleagues in this conversation as well to to talk great. about the. Because we're just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's so many metaphors and cliches out there that we could use. But seriously, it's, you know, we're pulling back the, the layers here of the onion. You know, we're not even close to the core yet. But um, I, I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, ask you, you know, in, in closing to, to wrap up this hour. So I, I promise our listeners and, and we will continue where, where we leave off here. You know, okay. but, but what was the motivation? How, how, how did, you know, you know, we talked about, uh, we started off our conversation, like, did the MOS find you or did you pursue the MOS? So now in the civilian career, did you find the career or did this career find you? At I think and, this career found me. Okay. But I had always wanted and I tell you, this was like a dream job to me. Well, a dream position to me was, I always said to myself, like, do you know when you went through um, basic training or you in process, in process at a major installation and you would have to go from checkpoint one to checkpoint two and there's a civilian there that's helping you to process through the, this lane or that lane, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Sometimes you would have someone that was phenomenal they helped you really well. They explained things to you. You got it. And then someone, or somebody else would just be like, come on over here. Just fill that out. Oh, we were like a bother to them, right? Like they weren't giving us the information that we needed. They treated us like we were less than. And I always wanted to be in a position where I could be that person to help someone, to help someone to understand what it was or what it is they needed to do to value them and to just help them to make educated and informed decisions and not feel like they're just a cog in somebody's wheel that, you know, that, that's bothersome. So I always wanted to work in the military where I'd be able to help soldiers to navigate and problem solve so that they can make the best decision for their lives. Because to me, the best decision for them is also then going to be the best decision for their family to give them a quality of life. Yeah. So this position found me, but I think this position finding me was an answer to the dream position that I always wanted anyway. Yeah. That, that, that's really, really interesting at, to hear because everything we've talked about today is, is empowering and encouraging on a n number of levels, but how that, that almost like you, you were 
like a hopeful wanderer. Like you were just going through the motions. You were figuring things out. You were taking advantage of opportunities that you sought out, whether it's through a friend who introduced a thought and idea. And then who knew 32 years later? It's 32 years, right? 31 30. or 32. Yeah. <laughs> 32 years later, you'd still be capitalizing on that resource. And it set you up for so, so many great things just from what I'm hearing today. And also to set you up with this amazing civilian career that 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 really is is really great to hear and empowering to hear because it we don't have to have it all f- figured out you know right. it, you may find you know we, we may find ourselves in a position that because we, we have very similar positions in our roles at, at the college or it could be getting into uh, another career into a corporate setting or into an IT field and but we need the the resources to help do that. So that's that, that that's what the, the, this represents. And I I do want to invite you back and have more of a more involved, detailed conversation regarding just what we just kind of skimmed mm-hmm. the surface with here today. So I um I, I I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I appreciate everything you shared today and. I, I do I really feel like time is our most valuable asset you know and and so this is just this really means a lot to to myself the veteran power hour and what we're doing here um, for that so um, I like to ask you um, in closing what song do you want to dedicate to the veteran power hour we talked about how we're building a list and we always transition out with the song so please Please tell us what that song is, you know, speak to a little bit why, and we will add it to the Veteran Power Hour playlist. Okay, so that song would be Ain't No Stopping Us Now. That would be my song, and I think it's from McFadden, and uh, I would have to get the, uh, it's, it's two names. I know one part is McFadden, but that would be my song, Ain't No Stopping Us Now. I love the lyrics of it. I think it resonates with me because when you look at a veteran, when you look at service members, you look at veterans, if we are given the right resources and if folks are patient with us, they explain things in a manner that we can digest it and they equip us with the right tools, there is no stopping us. The military has embedded in us, instilled in us resilience. So we know how to be shapeshifters, if you will. We know how to adapt to new normals on a fly, on a whim, right? But what do we need? We need the guidance. We need the tools. We need the resources. And once we have that, Matt, you know, we take off. You do it. I do it. And all veterans and service members that I know do it. So that's that's my song. Ain't no stopping us now. Well, on that note, Sergeant Major Brown, I have to. Well, we will conclude this episode of of the Veteran Power Hour and the thank you for your service. And truly, thank you for your service. Thank you for what you shared today. That is quite the inspiration. And we look forward to staying connected and to talking with you next time. You're a true inspiration. Thank you, Matt. You as well. And I appreciate this time. Thank you so much.
has held us down But now it looks like things are finally coming around I know we've got a long, long way to go And where we'll end up, I don't know But we won't let nothing hold us back We're putting our show together We're polishing up our act And if you've ever been held down before I know you refuse to be held down Bye. 